There was a uh, lady who was eating breakfast with her husband. They're sitting at the table, and, and she asked him a question. She said, you know, I've just been thinking, if I ever, like, got sick and I was to die, do you think you'd get remarried? And, uh, you know, being not a real sharp guy, he actually answered the question. Now, God, don't ever answer that question. And so she asked him, and he said, uh, and he, he responded kind of quickly, he said, Yeah. And so she was a little taken aback and she said, well, do you think you and your wife would li- your new wife would live in our house? And he said, well, I don't know why we'd move. And so she asked him another question. She said, well, well, do you think that they would uh, that y'all would like stay in the same bed? And he goes, yeah, I, kinda, I like it. And then she said, well, do you think that you would allow her to use my golf clubs? And he said, that ain't no way. So she's left handed. Now, uh, I. I, that story doesn't have anything to do with today's message. I just, that's a cool story. I just think that's kind of funny. Uh, but today we are beginning a new series of messages on on marriage. And we're going to be talking about the adventure of marriage. And today we're going to be looking in particular about courtship. Now, now I know that whenever those of you who are married, you know that there's a lot of great adventures about marriage. Because you just discover New things all the time about your spouse. I mean, it doesn't matter how long you've dated, doesn't matter, you know, how long y'all been together. It all becomes different when you get married. I mean, is that right? I mean, things are just really become different. I mean, you, you marry your spouse thinking she, she or he is one person, and then after like a week or two, you discover I've married their mother. And, uh, you know, that there's just great things that you discover about marriage. But I, I thought that it would be wise for us to go through a series on marriage because we, I really think that marriage needs to be brought up to a, a, a new level. Because there's a lot of negative connotations that come with marriage. And the reason why is that one, you know, one out of two marriages, according to statistics, show that, that they end in divorce. And so in, even that's true also within the church. I started thinking, gosh, you know, how can we... How can we improve this? You know, what can we do in order to give out, you know, godly instruction and godly example about what a marriage is to be like? And I'm afraid that what happens to to many people is a solid foundation from the very beginning is never laid. And so if you build your your relationship or your marriage upon a foundation that is not solid, but one that's kind of wobbling around everything else that's built on top of it is eventually going to to come crashing down. It's eventually going to end up being destroyed. And so in order to head that off, I thought one thing we could do is we could start from the beginning of marriage and we could take a look at the great adventure and courtship. And I know some of you are saying, I'm already married. This message is too late for me. It doesn't have anything to do with me. Well, while that may be true in one sense, I do want you to know that I believe we can still use these same principles we're going to look at today in order to improve our lives and our marriages. But I think this also, today's message, will also give us some opportunities about how we can specifically pray for our children and for our grandchildren as they start going down that, you know, that road of courtship, that road of marriage. And so if you have your Bible, I'd like for you to take it and, and turn with me to Genesis chapter 24. Um, you know, what, what number or what book or where is the book of Genesis found? Anybody know? That very first book. So I just, biblical scholars all around here. So I just want you all to feel good. So Genesis chapter 24, we're going to look there and we're going to read the first, verse, uh, first nine verses in just a moment. But some background information is this text is dealing with a man named Abraham. A God years before had promised Abraham that it was through him 
uh, through his family that he was going to make a great nation. Now, that was that sounded really good, except for by the time Abraham got this promise, Abraham was an old man. Uh, He and his wife were, you know, they were really beyond childbearing age at this point. And uh, but God had given a promise. And so Abraham, just doing what he knew best to do, he just simply trusted God. And then whenever they came into the land of Canaan, which is now modern day Israel, God said, I'm going to make a great nation out of your descendants. When this promise came, Abraham had one son. It was the only child that he and Sarah were to have together. And at this point, Isaac, when we look at our text, is about 40 years old. And Isaac isn't married yet. Now, it was normal to be married uh, during this culture at least by the age of 30. And so Abraham's thinking, hey, if we're going to have if we're gonna have a great nation come out of my son, we need to start you know, moving the process along. And so it's here that we see the process of courtship taking place. And I think we can learn some lessons through the whole story of Isaac and then his father, Abraham. And we're going to see, I believe, just a few things that are involved in a successful courtship. And the very first that I see, very first thing that I see that's involved in a successful courtship is having wise counselors. Having wise counselors. Now, I want you to look in verse number one. It said, Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. And for y'all think this is weird, this is just part of the custom. When they made oaths, this is what they do. So y'all just get that out of your mind. We're going to move forward. He says, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I'm living, but will go to my country. And my own relatives and get a wife for my son, Isaac. So many of the decisions that we make in life hinge greatly upon who it is that is giving us advice. Uh, That's why I think it's imperative that whenever you are coming to a major decision in your life, that you need to have counselors around you who can help you in the decision-making process. In our text today, I, mean, I think it's pretty obvious that before you get married, that it's, always, that it's always good to have a group of wise counselors around you who can give you direction. Now, unfortunately, what happens to a lot of us is when we make decisions, we tend to base our decisions or make our decisions based off of you know, feelings. Based off of what I think is good, you know, what makes me feel good, what I think is right. And I know on the surface that sounds good. You know, I'm just going to go with my gut on this one. And there's a lot of different examples that you can use. And, and that sounds good, but y'all, here's the, here's the problem whenever you make decisions that are based off of feeling. Your feelings are not consistent. I mean, there, there are some days when you, you feel this way, you know, you're up here and other days when you're down here. And so whenever you make a decision, depending on what day it is, that could not that could not be good. It can greatly affect the kind of decision that you make. And so I always think it's important that when we make decisions that you surround yourself with people who are that you look up to who are like your counselors. This is actually, there's biblical ba- a biblical basis for this. We're told in Proverbs 15:22 it says, Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, says they succeed. 
Proverbs eleven fourteen says, for lack of guidance, a nation falls, but many advisors make victory sure. Now, when it when it came to the issue of of making a major decision, I think marriage would fall into this category. It's interesting to see that Isaac was willing to allow his father and his father's servant to be his counselors. He, he was looking up to them. He was trusting them. He wasn't just going with feeling. Now, whenever you are looking for counselors in your life, you don't just pick anybody off the street to be the, those who are going to give you, you know, advice about what you should do or what they think. Uh, there should be some characteristics that the people you choose to be your counselors should have in their lives. And I'd say the number one characteristic they need to have in their life is that they love God. That they have a desire to live for God. That they have a desire to see you make decisions that are based off of God's leadership, that are based off of God's word. Now, Abraham was an advisor to Isaac, and he had this characteristic in his life. He was a man who would follow after God's leading. Uh, when, before he ever came into Israel, God gave him a message. He said, I want you to go to the land of Canaan. You've never been there. I want you to go there, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Now, how did Abraham respond to that instruction from God? Well, in Genesis 12, 4, it says, So Abram left as the Lord had told him. So he was a wise counselor. Abraham's servant was another counselor for Isaac. And his name is Eliezer. Now, that the name Eliezer, I found it interesting to note that it means God his help. And I thought, yeah, that, that can't, that's not a bad name. I mean, if you find a guy whose name is God his help, and you think, man, that's somebody that I need to pay attention to. But as I look into our text, I see that Isaac was not willing to just simply be guided by his emotions and feelings, but that he looked for godly counselors. Now, now what was Isaac doing while his father and his father's servant were, were coming up with an idea on a wife for Isaac? In verse 63, uh, later on in the chapter, it says, Isaac went out to the field one evening to meditate. Now, just to let you all know, whenever we talk about Isaac meditating, when he's meditating here, it doesn't mean he has his fingers like this and he's staring at his navel. That's not what he's talking about. Meditating in our context today, it refers to he's listening to God. He's paying attention to the leadership of God. He is talking to God. He is very much convinced that God is going to make a great decision in his life. And he wants to be in tune to what it is. He wants to follow the guidance of God. Now, here's my question for you. I want you to think about these questions. In your decision making, when you make decisions in your life, who are the counselors in your life? Who are the people that you look to, that you seek out to share their insight and their wisdom for you? When you make decisions, are your decisions based off of your desire to follow the leadership of God? Are they based off of your desire to be in sync with what God's word says? Because I really believe a lot of marriages end up in trouble because we get our desires ahead of what God requires. Ahead of what God wants for our lives. You know, I've seen people go into marriages and into relationships they never should have been in in the first place. I've seen people enter into to marriages after they talk to after they talk to some advisors, some friends and some families who said, man, you shouldn't do that. 
You need to be careful about going into this relationship. And they ignored what that person said or those people said, and they proceeded forward anyway. And what happened? Well, I, I, saw, I see disaster that occurs time and time again. There's a man that was on the driving range, and he was you know, obviously hitting some golf balls, and he heard uh, a pro right behind him giving lessons to another guy. And as the, the pro would walk up to him, he said, well, I've been noticing your takeaway. You've been doing this. He's trying to correct him. And the guy said, no, I don't think that's what it is. And then he started giving his ideas about what he thought was do- he was doing wrong. And, and every time the pro tried to say something, he would interrupt the pro. And so finally the pro just quit talking. And he sat down on the bench behind him. And every time the guy says, do you, do you think this is what I'm doing wrong? And the pro just go, yeah. And he just started agreeing with him. And every time he's like, is this the solution I need to have? He's like, yeah, just go ahead and do that. That'd be great. And so this went on for about 30 minutes, and after he's finished, the, the man walked over to the pro, he paid him his money, and he walked off and said, great lesson, I can't wait to see you next time. So he leaves. And the man that was watching the whole thing walked over to him, and he said, I, I don't get that. He said, I mean, why, why did you put up with that stuff? He kept interrupting you, and after a while, you just started agreeing with him. And the man's sitting there, and he's just counting his money, and he looks at him, he, looks at him, he smiles, he says, son, let me tell you something. He said, I learned a long time ago, you never try to sell answers to somebody who only wants to buy echoes. And I thought, you know, that that's pretty good. There's a lot of us, we are so intent on everybody agreeing with us. You know, we're, we're looking to buy echoes and we're not looking for truth. And then that, and that can happen in your relationships. You know, so desire to get what we want that we're not willing to listen to godly counselors. And so we fall into traps, and we fall into, we fall into problems, we fall into disastrous relationships. And I said, where do I find godly counselors? Well, here's, you know, there's a lot of different places where you can find them, but you know, I think this is one of the reasons why the church is so critical. You know, a great place to find godly counselors is the church. A great place to find godly counselors. One reason why we talk about small groups ever so often in our church, I, I really believe that we, some of the wisest people that we have in the church spiritually are those who are small group leaders. You want some godly counsel? Well, we have people that you can talk to. Now, look into our text today, and I see that, that if we're going to have a successful courtship, it begins with having wise counselors. But another thing that's involved, if you, if you want a successful courtship, or you want to know how to pray for one for your children or grandchildren. The second thing I notice is that you have to look in the right places. You know, you, you want a good spouse? Well, go find one in the right place. Uh, look, in, look in verse number three. This is what Abraham said. He said, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I'm living. But we'll go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, well, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. Abraham had a real, just some real simple advice for Eliezer concerning his son's future wife. Here's what he said. He said, you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I'm living. He said, if you're going to get a wife for my son, he said, you go back to where I'm from. You go back to my hometown. Now you might say, well, what's wrong with him getting a local girl? Well, Abraham was the first of his people to go into the land of Israel. It was the land of Canaan at this time. The Canaanites, were, they, were, they were pagans. They did not worship the God of Scripture. 
And so Abraham did not want his son marrying someone who had a different religion who could contaminate and infect his life spiritually. Years later, whenever Moses was taking the Hebrew people out of Egyptian captivity into the land of Israel, God basically said the same thing. In Exodus 23, verses 24 through 26, God said, Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. He said, Worship the Lord your God, and His blessing will be on your food and water, and I'll take away sickness from among you, and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. Where was Isaac's wife to be found? It was in Abraham's homeland, modern-day Iraq, basically. Now, why, why was, what's so special about those girls there? It's Abraham's family. They, they would have had the same kind of value system. They would have had an idea of who the one true God was. Now, I know that a lot of times in marriage, let me just share with you a few things that, that, I, that I have heard, is I've heard people tell me all the time, well, whenever I get married to this person, or I'm dating this person, I know they're not a believer, but I think I can change them. I call this missionary dating. Okay, y'all want you to know that is not scriptural. God says whenever you go into a relationship with a person, they are to be a follower of Jesus Christ. New Testament backs this up. We're told in in 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Okay, the other thing I hear people tell me. Now, we're getting married. I know that that person is not, you know, he or she, they're not Christians. They're not followers of Jesus. But that's not what's most important. What's most important is that I love them. Now, you know what, and I'm not, love is a wonderful thing, but when you get married, let me tell you what is most important. The most important thing is what that person's relationship with Jesus is. And if that person does not have a relationship with Jesus, the Bible tells us that we are not to go into that kind of a relationship with them. We are not to be married to them. As far as I'm concerned, you shouldn't even date a person who is not a follower of Jesus. What's the most important thing? It's love. That, that is garbage. Guys, it is who they are in Jesus. It's who they are in their relationship with Christ. Did you know that the most important thing, it's, it's not looks. Did y'all know that? Now, I'm not saying that's not important. But let me tell you something. It is not the most important thing. Whenever Eliezer was looking for a wife for Isaac, I want you to notice what he prayed. In verses 12 through 14, he said, Lord God of my master Abraham, give me success today. Show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. And, you know, this, is a, this was a really big deal. This was a painstaking job. He said, let her be the one you've chosen for your servant Isaac. In that prayer, what I notice is he did not pray and say, God, let Isaac's wife be hot. He did not say, God, let Isaac's wife be a real looker so that I'll know that's who it is. What did he pray? He said, God, may she have a servant's heart. God, we, we, we know that she, if she's from Abraham's family, she is a woman who has a desire to pay attention to you, who has a desire to be committed to God. Now, where are you going to find where are you going to find a woman like that, a man like that? Abraham knew you're not going to find. It. He said you're not going to find it in this environment. Go to where I'm from. 
If you're looking for a spouse and you want a godly spouse, you need to put yourself in an environment where you're going to find a spouse like that. Now, I just want to give you all a little uh, personal history here, how uh, Emily and I, how we got together. And I, I've shared some of that with you all. The first time I met Emily was February of 1989. I was seven years old. And uh, so we met in 1989. We were in college. And the first time I met her, it didn't go all that great. But, but she kept coming over to our house. And the reason why is I'd like to say it's because of me. She liked my roommate. And so, but I, I Emily, so I, I talked to her and she's waiting for my roommate. And after a while, we, we started going to church together. And I would ride in the back seat and she'd ride with my roommate in the front seat. So I was back there. And we were just going to church together. But, but the thing that I discovered is we were going to church together. We'd talk. And I discovered we, we, had, we had similar backgrounds. And we, we had we had similar we had val- similar values, and you know, I grew up in a pastor's home. Emily grew up in a home where her family was always involved in ministry, and you know what? But it did before long because those things were important to us. We we fell in love with each other, and before long we we decided that we wanted to, that we wanted to be married. Now it was an easy transition for us to move from that relationship into marriage. I'm not saying that you know it's it's oh so easy and everything's perfect and all that, but it, it just made it an easier transition than most people because we shared we shared similar values, we shared a faith. Guys, our our faith is important to us. Our faith determines how we live. Our faith in Jesus determines how how we raise our children. It determines how we spend our money. It determines the kinds of relationships that we have. And the same thing is true with you. If, if you desire a successful courtship and you desire your children to have a successful courtship, it involves right, wise counselors. It involves looking in the right places. But the last thing that I want you to see is having a, a successful courtship is it also involves allowing God the final decision. And I, this could be the most important one. It involves allowing God the final decision. Our last two verses we're going to look at, verse 8 and 9, it says, If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you'll be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Now, what was, what was Abraham getting? What point was he getting across in verses 8 and 9? What he was telling him is, hey, don't just go looking for anybody. He said there might be, it, it might not work out. And he said, and you need to allow God the ability to say no. God might not have somebody there right now for my son. And that's okay. I think a lot of people get nervous if, if, they're, you know, if they're not married. After a period of time, they think, gosh, you know, if, I don't, if I don't get married, my life is going to be miserable. It's the worst thing in the world that could happen to me is if I don't get married. Let me tell you something. It is not the worst thing in the world that could happen to you if you don't get married. The key, as I look in Scripture, is trusting God with your life and allowing Him to say yes or no concerning all decisions of life, but also concerning the decision of marriage. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, there's something you need to remember. You need to remember, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't belong to yourself anymore. The final say in your life is not you. The final say is God's instruction. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, how serious are you about a relationship with God? Now, if you're serious and you're committed to your walk with Christ, then 
your decisions will be determined by what God says according to his word. And if God impresses upon your heart no, God, you need to take no. You need to accept his answer of no or yes. Now, Abraham didn't force the issue. He didn't say, hey, if you don't find a wife there, just get somebody. What did he say? He said, don't worry. He said, come on back. And he said, but don't take my son there. He said, you just come on back. He was not going to force the issue. You see, Abraham had a promise that God was going to make a great nation out of his people. He said, God's going to provide at some time. It just might not be now. And so I'm going to trust God with that leadership. Now, some of you might say, man, you just don't understand. I, I don't want to miss out. My time is short. I will, I'm not going to find joy if I don't get married now in my time. Let me tell you something. If you are disobedient to God, I can promise you, you will not find joy. You won't have peace and satisfaction. You know, anytime you ignore wisdom, it is destructive. It never leads to anything good. I have an example of this from this week. It's a little on the lighter side, but my son Hank, my oldest son Hank, he, he drives and he drives a truck. And uh, as a matter of fact, the truck that I got is from uh, uh, Peb Bumgarner. He's on the back row there. And Peb gave me the truck with, with a gas gauge that it does not work. And so uh, you just sort of kind of guess, you know, which is always a good thing when you got a 16-year-old boy. Yeah, you'll figure it out. Um, so what we have determined is that it goes about, three, about 320 miles. You know, you can feel pretty confident you can go that far, so you have to push the trip meter. Um, well, Hank went to get, fill up gas, and it was really slow. The pump was, so he didn't fill it all the way up, and he forgot. So he pushed the, the meter, and uh, so, you know, he's thinking he can go 320 miles. I'm at the office on, I, think it was, I don't remember what day it was. I don't know if it's Tuesday or Wednesday. And I get a phone call in the morning, and uh, Hank's calling me, and he tells me, uh, he's like, I, the car won't start. I'm in this line at school. He's at Blythewood High School. He's totally embarrassed. I know he's not here, so I can be real open with you guys. He's about to die. And there's all this, you know, and he's like, can you come get me? The truck won't start. So I'm like, what in the world? So I drive down there, and, of course, I turn on the um, Wilson Boulevard. Traffic's lined up behind my son. And, uh, you know, fortunately, we had Mike Hughes was there to try to help him out and figure out what's going on because I know, I know, you know, diddly squat about cars. I just look and I go, yeah, yeah. They think it could be the uh, ball bearings, you know, so I don't know. So anyway, so I'm looking at it, and, and uh, what is he does not have any gas. He ran out of gas. Now, what happened is he ignored, he ignored the trip meter, and he didn't fill up, which irritated me. He didn't fill up the dead gum thing like he's supposed to, and so it runs out of gas. Now, whenever you don't follow wise instruction, guys, you are going to run out of gas, and you're going to find yourself... In trouble. Now, here's my encouragement to you. My encouragement to you is when God gives instruction, trust it. Be obedient to it. Because when you are obedient to God, God will provide the very best for you. Now, you might not think it's the very best, but it will be. God knows better than you do. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. How do we have a successful courtship? Now look in our text, seek wise counsel, look in the right places, and allow God to say no. Over 90% of Americans get married. It means everybody, regardless of your age, over 9, over nine out of 10 of you in here are going to get married at some point in your life. We need to raise the standard in marriage. People need to see Christians who have a desire 
to honor God and give God say in who they marry and when they marry. Guys, young people, y'all have the opportunity to set a new standard for us. Those of you who are already married, you have the opportunity to give an example to the people who are coming up behind you about how to have a marriage that is pleasing to God because you will listen to Him. Now, what I'd like for us to do is in your bulletin, if you've got a bulletin today, you'll notice that there's a prayer guide in there, and we're going to be giving these out over the next several weeks from our prayer team. Now, I know, some, I know some, most of you guys, you're already married, and you think, ah, courtship, that's gone and done. You've already gone through that. All right, here's the good thing. While that may be done, you can still improve. And there's some of you, maybe whenever you got married, maybe you got married for the wrong reasons. Maybe the motivating factor for you was what you wanted, not what God wanted. Uh, You might say, what am I supposed to do now? Here's the good news. God can make all things new. And so my encouragement for you, first of all, is you take that guide and use that guide this week to pray for your spouse. But I also want you to use this time to pray for you. Now, it's real easy to talk about our spouse's shortcomings don't focus on that. Focus on you and pray during this time. Say, pray, God, God, I pray that you'll create in me a new heart. Lord, I pray that you'll create in me a new love for my spouse. And Lord, I pray that you'll create in me a new heart to serve and be obedient to you. And so you just simply take that time to pray that. Now, others of you might say, man, we're, I'm already on that track. Then you take this time to pray for your children and your grandchildren. That they, will, that they will seek godly counsel. That they will seek God's word as they approach the time when they will be married. And let's use, just simply use this time to be, to be used as a time of prayer. That God would bless and strengthen our marriages. So let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I am, I am grateful that you are a God who cares for us. That you are a God who's given us... Uh, the institution of marriage. And you said all the way back in the very first chapters of Genesis that it is, not, it is not good for man to be alone. And for most of us, you have called us to marriage. And for those you've called into the, to the institution of marriage, Lord, I pray that our desire will be, will be your desire. Lord, that we would desire to be obedient to, to what you teach us and tell us. And, uh, Lord, I know that you tell us in Psalm 37, 4, you say, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. God, may we, first of all, seek you, seek to live for you above all things. And I pray, I, I really believe, Lord, that as we seek you, Jesus, that, that you will fulfill our desires because we will have your desires. God, bless our families, bless our marriages, and I pray these things in Christ's name.